Welcome to the Why Gotta Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. Um, we are here to respond to the questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in church, and we're brought to you by Browncroft Community Church in Rochester, New York. We are currently doing a series about the world reopening after the pandemic, and depending on where you live, you might already feel reopened, or you might feel like the world's not reopening, but we are doing this series with the Small Group Network. They are out of the Saddleback Church. I'm a member of them. And we are here with the head honcho, the man in charge, the chief. His name is Steve Gladen. And he is Jesus, but you know, I'll let you go with that. (laughs) (laughs) He's too much. But um, Steve is going to be responding to uh, a very interesting question that I think a lot of us have asked or have been asked. Mm -hmm. Why would I come back to church after the pandemic? So Steve, welcome to the podcast. No, Peter, great to be on the show with you. And it's fun just to uh, wrestle with questions that are, are sometimes not comfortable, nor uh, can sometimes be messy. You know, we always talk about in small group ministry that we we, we love the messy. Well, well, good Lord, we are in the midst of more messy than we've ever had. So uh, we'll find out if you really do like the messy. <laughs> I, I love that. And, um, you know, it's funny when we started this series this was the first question I thought of for you. So why don't you introduce, (laughs) yeah, just pick the hardest one. Why don't you just share a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got connected into Saddleback and the small group network and just a little bit about your passions. Yeah. I mean, um, I wasn't raised as a believer. Uh, we were a moral family, but weren't too much of a believer. We, uh, were raised as very nominal Catholics, what you'd call uh, Lily and poinsettia people. Whenever the lilies or the poinsettias came out, I was like, oh, must be time for mass. Uh, so uh, that was kind of a little bit of our journey. Grew up in a military home. Uh, had a uh, My dad was a Navy avi- aviator for 23 years and then did his second career out in the Midwest, which is where I was born. And uh, But it was uh, no shock of, of my passion. It was through a small group that led my sister to the Lord and she brought it back into our family, which had a cascading effect of 19 people throughout our family through spouses and kids and everything, uh, finding Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I uh, didn't realize that at that point in time that that was going to be so tectonic in everything that I did. And so uh, this led uh, God calling me into ministry. If you know my story, I've got a lot of uh, um, special needs that would make me not the top candidate. I love college football. And, you know, you look at recruiting rankings and all of that, I, I would have none of them. So it was a little bit of an odd duck uh, out of that. But uh, watch God kind of uh, uh, let, let my leash run as far as I could go. And then uh, God said, you know, I think you need to get into ministry. And so he provided a way that started the journey of that. And through that, it was just, you know, uh, it is being in the right place at the right time. God could have had anybody when uh, Rick was down in Rick's office and uh, he just literally said, hey, hire him. I like him. And so uh, it was uh, it was just a, a God ordained point in time that has led to, um, you know, being on staff since February of 98. So it's been a it's been an exciting run of watching God do so many things. And I've enjoyed small group ministry for 35 years uh, out of my ministry career. So it's been a, it's been a crazy journey, a fun journey, but Hey, it, it's uh, would God have it any other way? 
you know, before we get into this topic, I want to come back to what you said. You said that your sister joined a small group and that's how you came to follow Jesus. Hey, walk us through that because I think that that's probably important to why your perspective to this question matters. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was it was simple. It was a, it was a 19 year old girl who was dangerous enough to, uh, you know, she had just known Christ just a, a few months and was literally inviting my sister uh, because she was a friend of hers. Uh, you know, she was uh, she was out of high school, but my sister was in high school and uh, it invited her into uh, at that at a small group. This is probably somewhere in the zone of the Jesus movement that was catching fire. Uh, all across uh, at least Southern California and other parts of the nation. So, uh, you know, when you look back at at how God ordained that, and really all they were going through is the Book of John, and it was enough that my sister had been searching, and my my mom had been searching in a different way, and uh, there's a whole story about the the shift where my father became a, a follower of Christ, but my parents didn't become followers of Christ till they were 54. And so uh, it's just exciting about uh, you have a 19-year-old girl who changed the destiny of everybody, literally everybody, 19 people in our family unit between our spouses and uh, their children changed the destiny. And it's just, uh, it's the most inspiring story to me when I'm talking to group leaders and point people that, uh, you know, you want to be a destiny changer. Uh, because, mm. you know, I'm going to be uh, just like you when I get to heaven, you know, I'm going to, you know, hug Jesus and high five Peter and Paul and all that, you know, and I'll, I'll see Adam and Eve and say, you suck and uh, <laughs> kind of move down the line. But I'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be looking for uh, a young lady that uh, changed the destiny of my, my life. I don't know her. She doesn't know me, but um, wow, she doesn't even know what I'm doing. So that that's the, that's the craziness of all this story. So but it's going to be exciting to bump into her some sometime. I don't know if she's living. I don't even know where she's at. So, you know, we're going to go into this, but I think that that kind of helps the credibility for you to respond to this question because church wasn't always assumed for you. And yeah. so what I want to do is fast forward to your role. You support pastors and small group point people. Um, you, basically, they're leaders of community. And pre-March 2020, you know, Everything you did, um, yeah, you had a blog, you had podcasts, but the thought was, hey, we are in person, small groups are meeting in person, even the church that you're a part of, yeah, there's a robust online, but, you know, the senior pastor, as you mentioned, Rick Warren, you know, help us reflect on what that was like this past year to kind of have to question a lot of assumptions about what church and community looks like in this year of shutdown? Well, I mean, I, I even hate to breathe this, but I think I probably had it easier than most people. And so that immediately uh, grows a, a root of bitterness sometimes in, in people's hearts. But uh, but we had been doing online uh, um, online services since 03. And we had been doing, been doing online virtual groups since 09. So we had uh, a lot of the groundwork laid uh, in strategy, uh, not just being a broadcast center of the weekend service, but in strategy and moving away. So the 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 shift was definitely tectonic. I don't I don't want to minimize the the shift because there were uh, I mean there were like five different phases that we went over. I mean we live in the 
People's Republic of California. So they were uh, not too uh, excited about, you know, letting us meet uh, for almost 13 months. So it was a um, it was definitely a huge shift uh, for us. But it's nice when the culture had already adapted. It wasn't like, hey, what are we going to do for online services? They were already ro- rolling. Matter of fact, one of one of the beautiful things is that we've improved them even in more in, in more aspects where you're no longer looking in at one of our campuses, you're having your own online experience. Uh, and then the other thing too, is we developed, uh, you know, student ministry uh, experience, part of the online community with both JHM and HSM, and then also four different areas in children's from, you know, your upper elementary, your lower elementary, your, your, uh, you know, your younger ones, and then uh, special needs kids. So, uh, but it, it was it was a huge shift. I mean, it was um, I was I was probably more shocked by the extremes of the people, uh, shocked by the people who were adaptable uh, in, in a great way uh, that, you know, I'll, I'll probably share somewhere in this show. Uh, but then also shocked by uh, the people who I shouldn't be shocked by, but they were. Uh, not adapting too well. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what church you're at. You've always, you've always got the contingent of the 10% that love you and will move with you, the 10% that will hate you and, and and be happy to let, let you know why they hate you. And then the 80% that are on the, on the journey. So it's a, it was quite a trip. Well, let's go there. uh, Because I, I think that some of our listeners, they don't see the church as innovative. And, you know, if you Google Saddleback, you know, Saddleback is a church with a reputation that we're going to try new things. We're not afraid of it. And, you know, here you are at this church that has this reputation for people that follow Jesus and those that don't, that it, it at least tries. What was it like to be surprised by the adaptable people? And what was it like to be surprised by the people that weren't adapting? Well, I mean, to the ones that weren't adapting, I'll, I'll address that first and end on a happy note. Uh, to the, you know, to those people, the, um, you know, it's always grace, grace, grace. I, I mean, everybody, we were in such a compressed time frame for so long. Obviously, we know the the most severe punishment you can do in our uh, prison system is solitary confinement. Same thing in in wartime. You know, uh, you know, put people in solitary confinement and. And it brings out a whole new personality in people. And in the same way, um, uh, you've done that to the world for X number of months, wherever you're listening to this podcast. We have some of our campuses that are still some of our international campuses that are still in lockdown. Uh, so, you know, when you think your day's gone bad, just remember there's parts of the world that, you know, they're still in great lockdown. But uh, it, it was it was it was, you know, just one time where you can just add grace and you can pray with people. Uh, they may choose to stay with your church, not stay with your church. The wonderful thing, if there's a wonderful silver lining in any of that, nobody that I met with told me they weren't going to church anymore because of, you know, the whatever the circumstance was, but that they were going to another church. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about the big C church. I love that. I'll see, we'll see everybody in heaven. Uh, but I am more concerned about people, like you said, at the top of the po- at top, top of the show is that uh, I, I know what it was like not to be a follower of Jesus. I know what it was like to go. I can remember my mom saying, where were the Christians? Mm. Where was the light? 
and uh, and that's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about uh, I, I you know it's not you know obviously I, it pains me when people left the church, uh, but um, I'm more excited about the people that are going to come to the church, and 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 that's the shift to the people that poured their time and energy into volunteering to um, uh, to uh, bring the online experience to a whole new level, to the church readjusting their budget to say, um, this is something, this is where we're going. We were going there before. I remember in 09 meeting with 33 small group pastors, some of them of very large churches you would know. And I can remember tell- them telling me that you know, when we were doing virtual groups, you know, at that point in time, so you got to back this train up to 09, but just saying how that could be perverting the gospel and perverting, you know, community and stuff like that. But you, you got to understand that, you know, when we're, when we are engaging where, where people, do, where people are, you know, it's the whole fishing story, you know, you, you don't go to where you're comfortable going at, you go to where the fish are at. And so, in that way, we are always, you know, engaging and happy to go where, where the the people at World of Warcraft was showing the world, you know, a decade ago, decade longer ago, that they could get people into community in the online environment and pay for it. Um, you know, at that time, as a you know, millions if not billion dollar industry at, at that point in time. So, um, just just with that, you know, it, but engaging in the online people there. The thrust of volunteers that that uh, you know did everything and anything from beginning to end to help the children's programming get online, to get the student programming online, the special needs kids uh, online, to get the um, uh, our adult services going, and, and everything like that. You, you had that wing that was just wow, took it to a whole new level, and and it showed because you know people. Uh, we, we measure people who engage with us for over 30 minutes in a service before we count them. And those numbers are, those are souls. But also then, you know, Rick just saying, hey, we, we're not going to be a gathering center. We're going to be a mobilizing center to the, our community and the community needs. And at that time in Orange County, which to get perspective, it's, you know, we're right between L.A. County and San Diego County. We're dead in the middle. Uh, Orange County is roughly about 3.3 million people, not as big as San Diego County or L.A. County, but, you know, it's still a chunk of chunk of folks. But one of the highest needs is when when schools were not meeting was food for the kids. Uh, you can shout Jesus all you want. But when your kid is going hungry, um, that triggers a whole set of emotions in you. And uh, so often. You know, the church, you know, is tone deaf to what your community is screaming. And so one of the things is we mobilize volunteers. So you may not be great in the tech world or the studio world or the camera world or whatever is involved in that whole, you know, virtual, you know, space that we're talking about. But at the same time, you can build boxes for food that you put food in. You can hand a box of food to somebody. You can do setup. You can do all those. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, you knew a little bit that the show was coming. So I just pulled some current stats. So since March of 20, uh, so this is a a chunk of distance, you know, we're we're talking, I don't know, 15, 18 months. I can't even, you can probably do the math better than me because I'm the one talking. but uh, we've just gone over giving away 14 million t- 
tons of food. We have had 43,926 unique volunteers that have been somewhere on the field in food distribution. During the food pandemic, I mean, during the pandemic, because the government agencies were shutting down the food centers, we became the largest, we became the number one food distribution center in Orange County, a church, a church did. Now, here's, here's the blessing. To date, on the airing of this show, 27,733 people have prayed to receive Christ who came to get food. Now, you know, would they have come to the church? Maybe. But when you meet people's needs, and you see this all throughout the New Testament, Jesus tended to meet the needs and then talk about Christ or talk about, you know, you know, following, following the Lord. And, um, and, and in the same way, uh, sometimes the church is just tone deaf to, to what the needs are in your community. I don't know what the needs are in every community, but I know in ours, food was a big one. Uh, joblessness was another big one that we, that we focused on. Uh, you know, uh, single parent families being able to have ready made food. Uh, mm. that they could put in the microwave for the family. That was another big one. But, you know, the, the point is, and, and, and I get it, we've all been to crusades and, you know, lots of people walk the aisle and where are they at? But the point is, is that seeds were planted. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 3, 6, evangelism just isn't leading people across the line like those 27,000. But it is about being able to plant and to water and then to harvest. And I can guarantee you, every person who received the, the food that we put out. And I forget, uh, I think it's over 255,000 families have received food from us. There is somewhere in the back of their brain that church is good. Church is nice. Church cares for me. So that when a pain point happens, our prayer is that they will, will turn to the church. And then the other thing for our community, what's been great is it hasn't been any of our pastors who have led those people to Christ. It's all been volunteers. Mm. So your volunteers are sitting there just saying, how can I pray for you? And, and if they, if they need salvation, you know, walking them through that. So, you know, there, there's all kinds of spin outs, but, you know, again, it's being, and I hate the word pivot. I can't tell you how many times I heard the word pivot throughout the pandemic, but it is a good sign of what the church can do. And, you know, one of the byproducts is, is that pre pandemic, when we were trying to start campuses in schools, the schools were very close to us. But now, you know, there's a couple of school districts that said, you want to start a church? You, you call my school district up. And you got to build a bridge of friendship that Jesus can walk across to touch people. And right now we're, we're partnering with a lot of, uh, uh, we have mailers. I have a mailer somewhere. One of my, one of my uh, fault folders is that our, you know, our Orange County government, our, our governmental system in Orange County is they put out flyers to everybody about where our food pop-ups are going to be. Mm. They're partnering with the church. So, I mean, it's crazy good stuff. I want to come back to, cause you said that your mom said at 54 years old, uh, why didn't anybody tell me about this sooner? Um, and it just, it just seemed like it touched a nerve in you. What was it about your family that changed and and again, when we say church, sometimes it's it's not just casually attending. You're talking about church being 
the central place where you experience Jesus and get to know other people. So I just, I want to kind of be clear. It's not just, you know, attending church, but what was it about your family that just touched that nerve that you look back and say, man, my mom at 54 years old, what would have been different about her life in your life um, as you think about that? Oh my goodness. It, it, it's countless. Uh, I mean, I can only think of where, where my life trajectory would have been, let alone my parents, because, you know, you know, I was, you know, you have kids that make you look good. You have kids that make you look bad. Any of you that are, are parents, you'll, you'll, you'll get that. But, uh, I was a kid that made you look good, but you know, there was plenty of, you know, um, uh, uh, depravity that was floating throughout my life that I'm not the most proud of. And, um, but I, I think what it touched, touched in me is that I saw life change happen. I mean, and that's what we're about. We're about life change. I saw my dad who would, you know, I, I learned as a kid when he came home from work, I would make him a wet martini or a dry martini. I mean, before my, my, you know, 12th birthday, I could make a wet martini or a dry martini for anybody that needed it. And, and that was just part of what I did for my dad when he came home. I mean, I saw hard alcohol leave our house. I saw, you know, he made wine. I saw our little wine stuff go away. Uh, he smoked a pipe, you know, I saw those go away. My mom smokes, saw that go away. There was life change that happened. And, you know, if anybody drinks or smokes or, you know, you know, those things, I totally, um, I'm, I'm not trying to bag on that, but I'm just saying I could see, I could see a change in who they were. I mean, our family was moral, but I just saw a whole new, a whole new side of morality and excitement and reading God's word. I mean, we were like any good Catholic, you know, we had a Bible, but I can't tell you if it was ever cracked open. So, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was just, you saw life change happening. And, and, and I love where you were going with the church because the church, we keep on thinking, you know, how do I get them in the box? How do I get them in the box? How do I get them in the box? When there's a lot of people that don't like to go to the box. And we learned that in the pandemic, you know, they weren't going to go to the box. There was a lot of believers who didn't want to go to the box, uh, you know. Uh, and so you, you you just learn that what's the bottom line? The bottom line is, you know, people becoming followers of Christ and them getting disciple. That's mm -hmm. the bottom line. And I don't care if it happens in the box. I don't care if it happens in the group. I don't care if it happens relationally. I've prayed with many of my neighbors to receive Christ who have never walked on the property of Saddleback Church. And that's okay. Now, do I want to leave them there? It's just kind of like in the digital world. I love our online presence, both in groups and in, in temple courts, but our, our weekend service. But we always, we want to meet them where they're at and get them to where we want them. And it's kind of like your kids. You know, if you understand that the Bible was written on a family system, and there's I could talk on that for 20, 30 minutes of why biblically that's true. But when you understand the Bible is is made in a family system, you really start to understand how the church really operates. And you do the same thing with your kids. You meet them where they're at. And every one of your kids is different. And same gene pool, but good Lord, can they be as opposite as opposite it can be? But you got to meet them where they're at. And then you want to take them to where you want them. And the problem is, is most churches don't know where they're taking them. Yeah. I mean, they, they'll have the broad things. You know, I want them to be like Jesus and stuff like that. Well, good Lord. Is that what you tell your kid? I want you to be a good kid. 
No, you, you help them understand what it means to be a good kid, what it means to have integrity, what it means to have character. And you understand what you want them to produce. And so, um, you know, it just, it, it goes on and on, but you got to understand that the church is more than the box. So I, I think you're painting this picture of the church and whether someone's de-churched or unchurched or they're not sure whether they should come back, you're painting this picture that on one hand, like, you know, I, I think of Browncroft and Saddleback, like if those churches weren't here, you know, there would be something missing in this community. But then on the other hand, you're painting this individual picture that, hey, when you get involved in the church, like you change and it's because of Jesus. So, you know, we're asking this question, why would I come back to church? And I think even the question is like, oh man, I'm going to get roped into a small group. I'm going to get roped into serving. And and like your job is small group. So, you know, we assume that. And I, I actually think we should just lean into that. But to that person that's asking, why should I come back to church? Why should I get involved? You know, what would you say to them, you know, if you're sitting down having coffee with them? You know, again, it, it depends. Um, you know, in evangelism, there were two great schools that, you know, produce what we call the gray scale or the Ingle scale. And they helped you realize that way before somebody walks across the line and becomes a follower of Christ. And, you know, there are there are progressions, there are steps that get them closer and closer and closer and closer. We also learn in leadership development that Jesus, you know, he just took the disciples where they were. In Matthew 4, his only requirement to be a disciple was follow me. And that three years later was die for me. So, you know, he didn't leave them right there. And in the same way for people who you know, are saying, why do I need to come back to church? I, I mean, you forces you to ask the question, what is church first off? So you've got to understand, you know, okay, what what is this thing that we're talking about? But then it, it is also trying to figure out where are they at? And, and the tough thing about ministry is every person is different. I wish it was a broad brushstroke that you could paint and say, you know, if you just do one, two, and three, you get most of the people. It's kind of like the educational system, you know. It only hits 40%. Teacher standing in front of 35 students, it only hits 40% of the bell curve, but it's the largest slice. So I get why they go after it. But but again, that's the beauty of temple courts and house to house of how God designed the church, you know, to be able to hit people and individuals and help them move. So there's a almost a progression where you just got to understand, is, is this an unpers- unchurch person asking? And then I just want to be the follow me. And see what I do in my house and on my street or at my office or what I do uh, so that you can, you know, get a little closer to the one that can, you know, have a tectonic change in your life. For the believers, I, I think you can dial that up a little bit. It's kind of like your kids who know better. Uh, you can dial up the heat a, a little bit better for them to know because so often we, we, we go to church and we critique what we got. You know, it says, oh, what did I get out of it? You know. Uh, what, how was the sermon? Let me rate you on a one to 10. How was worship? You know, how comfortable was the seat? You know, was the air conditioning good? Was the sun in my eyes? You know, because we're, we're meeting outside and stuff like that. You know, we, we become a consumer mentality, but the church, the weekend services weren't designed for you. They were designed for people who don't know Jesus. So, you know, part of why you got to come back to church is you're coming to give. You're coming to contribute. You're not coming to consume. Now you get benefits out of it, but you're coming 
to help make a difference for that one person that you bump into. And that's why I love, you know, uh, I love working a room. I love working an office. I love working our campus because I love to go to the, the nooks and crannies where there is that person who doesn't know why they're there and you can engage with them. And so part of it is you got to understand you got to, you're coming to church, not to get anything, especially let's not get COVID, but uh, you're coming (laughs) to church to give and you're coming to give, you know, a smile, a handshake, uh, uh, you know, sitting by the people. Do you know the people next to you all the way to, you know, you want to get mobilized into helping your church do what it does best because Again, the big part of, you know, of, of reaching people is in God's design of the church is temple courts and house to house. It's the weekend services and it is your small groups. Those are your primary vehicles that God orchestrated in the church. And so how you can mobilize people from where they're at and getting them to where you want to go, um, that's all part of it. So you. I love it when you pose your own questions because now you just have to answer it. So you you said, what is the church? So I, I'd love to hear your perspective. I'll probably throw in a few thoughts. But then, you know, you've used this phrase, temple courts. You know, help our listeners under t- understand those two phrases because I think it could be helpful because even what are we talking about with church? You know, are we talking about, you know, coming to a dead service that doesn't connect with my life? Or I think what you're even hinting at is the definition of church is something that's far more powerful that we can't just dismiss. But what's the definition of church and temple courts? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, I mean, uh, Jesus is is our prescriber of, you know, what's right, what's wrong. The, The New Testament is what we're looking at. Obviously, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing and a complement to the New Testament. But you got to understand just macro church wide is that, you know, when Jesus walked this planet, you have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who captured his vision and mission. And, and it's summarized in the great commission and the great commandment. And so if you want to go to know what is church, you look at the verbs of the great commission and the great commandment, and that tells you what church is. Church is about building authentic community. Church is about discipling and growing. Church is about giving to others like your, you, you give to your neighbors like you give to yourself. It's a serving aspect of it. It is the there's the going aspect that you you go, you you do outreach. And then there's the vertical connection of what do you need to surrender and sacrifice so the kingdom work can happen even better. That's what worship is about. Worship isn't just singing. Worship is more about surrender and sacrifice. You, you see what Jesus you know, modeled to us in the, in those first four gospels of his life. And more importantly, what he prayed in John 17, uh, uh, prior to that. And you, you start to understand this is what it's about. It's about taking the great commission, the great commandment and those aspects of that and, and doing it. Now, how, how does that look at, look like methodology wise? And so you see the birth of the church in Acts. But what's interesting is that. Before Jesus left this planet, he knew it was broken and he knew it was ugly. And uh, and you think the pandemic was ugly? Just start studying church history. There's more. There's there's worse things than the pandemic that we just experienced uh, that happened in church history. So it was it, there's a lot of ugliness there. But he knew it was ugly, and he told us he would give us two things. In John 14, he would give us the Holy Spirit. 
that would bring conviction and comfort. And the other thing too, is in Acts two, he gave us the church Mm. and the church. When you look at the Acts two, when the church was birthed, the first part was temple courts. The back half was house to house. And you start to see that the normative aspects of what happened in the churches, which is the letters and the epistles that happened is you see, there's a lot of messiness. There was a lot of confusion, uh, but at the very crux of it, the Holy Spirit held it all together. And so you, you understand that the that what the church does and what the church looks like is always engaging people and mm-hmm. people where they're at. And that can happen in many, many different ways. But Jesus' playbook, although uh, the modern church loves the complicated, his playbook was, hey, gather together in the temple courts and then put action behind what I've been walking this planet for three years, put action behind it in house to house. And there's many aspects that can happen with that. So there, that's a very broad brush aspect of, of what it looks like. Although it is interesting in this day and age, churches got, got thrust into the digital aspect because, you know, it's funny because uh, I've been to a, you know, I've, I've been a believer oh too long. So I hate to even count the numbers of decades because that, that gets very depressing very quick unless I, you know, accepted Christ like at my first day, uh, but of, of life on this planet. But when you, when I look at the decades that I've been a believer, I've heard many sermons on new wineskins. But oh my, coming out of this pandemic, have I seen a visceral reaction to churches when they're, when they are looking at new wineskins and it's like, Oh no, 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 no. I've never seen such a compelling to go back to the old when we've just experienced a new. And I think it's going to be a, uh, that'll be a big shift for churches ahead is saying, okay, what are these new wineskins? How's this going to look? You know, God opened us up to a digital age and God opened us up to a lot of data that we're getting from that digital age. And the big question is, what are we going to do with it? And uh, I'm excited to see where the churches that are willing to go into the unknown, what God's going to do with that. And and just like the Church of Antioch, you know, we like to gravitate to what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And the church was very comfortable in Antioch. But what did God do? God said, no, 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 no. I want you to go to where people are at. So I'm going to scatter you. And the same thing, the church has been ignoring the digital world. I, I hate it when the church is always downstream of culture and the culture has been all, so into the, it, I mean, we are so far behind. I mean, when sports, when esports is taken off, what's the church doing? Nah, I don't want, I, I want to pretend it's not there. Or if nothing else, I'll, I'll do, I'll do a broadcast. I'll, I'll at least put my service on the internet. Well, good for you. That was a great step, but you know, there's more to it than this, you know, scattering your, your words out there. So. I well, and so I, I think even, you know, some of our listeners are probably saying like, does it count if I go online? Does it count if I go in person? And I, I think that you're even paint, like you're, you're raising the expectation that, Hey, I don't care if you go online or in person, but you know what the new Testament talked about, which is timeless is it's not just showing up to, to sing a few songs and hear the sermon, but it's the actual engagement of community and it's the actual living out your faith and how it affects you in the Monday through Saturday. And, and you're in essence, you're saying, Hey, this is a modern question, probably 50 years from now, 
it'll be a new one and we'll resolve this and it'll be a whole new problem. But what you're saying is, hey, let's stick to what's timeless. And what's timeless is there's something that happens when people who follow Jesus get together that if you miss out on that digital or physical, then you're missing perhaps the purpose of your life. You're right. Our culture leads to what counts. What, you know, if I go, if I, if I put my butt in a seat, does that count? And I've talked to so many Protestants who are, are who just hate the, the thought of Catholicism, but yet you're quickly going into that role of Catholicism where, you know, it was, you know, Hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, you, you checked all the boxes. And the more we can get out of checking the boxes and looking into Jesus's boxes that he wants us to check, it, you know, it's, it's a whole powerful thing because you know, we always say the church is, you know, is not a building. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that phrase, but oh my goodness, when the pandemic came, it sure was about a building. <laughs> it was about a building big time for a lot of people. I, I can tell you, I, I have a plenty of emails from those people, but you know, it's so funny what we're willing to say until really push comes to shove. And then, we, you know, because how did you behave outside those four walls? It has more impact than how you behave inside those four walls. Well, and and even just kind of listening to what you're saying and just the picture that we're trying to paint of like coming back to church. Um, so you talked about people being individuals. I meet with people all the time that are on the verge of coming to church or just started coming to church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to be clear with everybody. Like we share next steps, not because we're forcing you, but we just want you to know that they're available and I, I, I think even what you're saying and hopefully what I'm saying is if you if you sit in church online or phys- in person for a year and don't do anything, I'm OK with that. But when when you feel it's time to take that step and I'd even argue that maybe it's even the Holy Spirit kind of speaking to you, we want you to be ready and we want to be clear that that opportunity is there because we want you to feel as an individual, but we also realize your timeline and our timeline and even God's timeline might be different. And we're willing to journey with you there. We're first of all, glad you're showing up, but we believe that God just wants so much more. I I think we're kind of saying the same thing when it comes to that, trying not to force people to take that next step. Yeah. When you, and I love what you're bringing, because when, when you look at cults and I'm, I'm talking not the, uh, not, not the theology of cults because they're, they're screwed up. But if you look at their methodology, they are super clear on what your next steps are. But the problem is, is most churches, you don't have a pathway to help people become a follower of Christ. You don't have it ironed out. You don't, you cannot. One of the biggest mistakes I left in ministry saying people are, are so intelligent that they, that they will know what the, the, the proper next step is. And, and, and that's like telling you don't need to tell your kids what the next step is because, you know, oh, they'll, they'll figure it out. You know, these parents that say, oh, my kids in high school, they'll, they'll figure out, you know, what Jesus is or what God is or something like that. No, they won't. We're depraved people. We'll, we always gravitate towards the, the junk of this world. And uh, the whole point is that churches need to I love what you said on next steps, because you've got to think, what is that next step for, you know, someone who just watches for five minutes of, of a service and bumps out or things like that, you know, how can you engage them and stuff? And, and the, the way the church is set up, there's just natural needs 
that only the church can fulfill that uh, that can help people on this planet. And we, we do have the best kept secret, but, you know, we, we like to deviate from what Jesus playbook was and we love to complicate it. And it just gets into a screwy mess. Well, you know, this has been just a robust conversation. You know, one one place that I kind of want to close because we're we're doing this series kind of based on my involvement with the small group network and just you deal with a lot of pastors, small group point people, volunteers, small group leaders. You know, what would you say to them because they're having these conversations about why would I come back to church? Why would I come back to my small group? And, you know, you've just, in this last episode, have really just, you've painted a picture of grace and truth of trying to understand people. And, you know, how would you encourage them to have these conversations with people so that, you know, it's filled with the love of Jesus, but it's also challenging people to maybe go somewhere where they've never gone before? Yeah. And I, w- I would say my answer is going to be very counterintuitive because it's not to give them reasons to come back to church. It's not to find out why they're not coming back to church. But I, I would, you know, you want to build a friend friendship with them if you don't have one, obviously. But if you do have that relationship with them, you want to find out how they're feeling. How, how are you doing with everything? Minister to them and they'll follow you. Uh, you know, you know, John, John, Gospel of John talks about, you know, the sheep know the shepherd's voice because the shepherd takes care of them and protects them and walks with them and helps them and things like that. And your people will know your voice. Your people will will know where you're wanting to guide them. If you want to get them back to church, my question would be to you is, do you really know them? What are their pain points? Why? You know, I, I, I don't want to f- start with where, why are you not, why is your group not getting back together again? Or, or why are you, you, you not meeting or why are you not all these whys, but what you want to do is find out, you know, how's, how's this been going for you? Where where are you at? Where, Where are your pain points? You know, how can I pray for you? How can I be your pastor for you in this moment? Because, you know, there's an additive that we, we, an ad, not additive, sounds like I'm giving you a supplement. Uh, but there, there's a picture that we like to give give our leaders is that you want to give them truth. And I and I get it. And, you know, but truth is built on a platform of trust. And trust only happens when you spend time with them. So if you haven't spent much time with these people, you really can't dial it up and give them any truth about why they should come back to church or why it's necessary or anything like that, because they don't care because you're not a trusted source. You may say, Oh, I'm, I'm your, your pastor. Well, I mean, start with some of the basics. Do you know their spouse's names? Mm. Do you know their kids' names? Do you know what they're going through? Do you know their birth dates or anniversaries? Do you just know simple, simple stuff about their life before you even de- de- delve into that? Because it's the same thing in a family system. You want to give your kids truth. But if you're not a trusted source because you've spent no time with your kids, you can say you're the dad or the mom and use positional authority. Oftentimes, that's what the church does. But what you've got to understand is that 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 won't get you anywhere. That's why the when you go to sporting events and there's a guy on the corner there and he's saying, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. He's speaking truth. 
But the problem is he's not a trusted source. Mm. And so what the church has got to do, and this has been the gift of, you know, as we've been coming out of the pandemic, you said, well, I've only got, you know, 20% or 40% or 60% of the people back. Well, tell me how you're loving on that percent, what's ever coming back to such an extreme, hyper great way that they're going, oh my goodness, my church cares about me. They don't care about my butt in the seed or my, or my money in an offering but they do care about me. And so often, and we, we, we dialogue on this on hard and soft data in uh, our small group ministries that the hard data is the stuff we want, you know, and that's kind of like some of the things we're talking about, you know, are you coming back to church? Are you coming back to group? Are you checking this box? Are you checking that box? But the soft data is what makes an impact on people's lives. And that's when you know them, you know who they are, you know, their family unit, you know what they've been going through and, and how you can pray for them so that you can earn the right to be able to speak the truth with mm. some people. And people you have a relationship with, my conversation is pretty quick. Hey, lead. You're a leader of our church. You need to lead. You know, I've got enough relationship with them that I can go real direct on that. But there's a ton of people where I'm just saying, hey, I'm here to help you. Don't worry about it. If you don't, if you're not comfortable with church or if you're comfortable just watching it online or, you know, something like that, we want to, we want to get to know you so we can move you back. And which leads beautifully into small group ministry, because the only way you can be scalable in a church to know everything that's going on in your church is by developing a small group system, i.e. what Jesus told us to do so that you could uh, have the relationship so you could be with the people. Wow. That was a, a really powerful and gracious way to end. And even just a challenge to leaders, not just our listeners to just say, yeah. you know, to handle that how Jesus would. So, Speaking of Jesus, we always close with one question. We all answer it, so I answer it, you answer it. But what does Jesus have to say about going back to church? And um, I'm going to answer it first, because then when you answer it, you get to clean up any heresy that I throw out there. So uh, I thought you were my safety net. <laughs> I guess we're both out of luck. But anyways, we'll go there. So, um, you know, as I thought about this question, why would I come back to church? Um I had uh, about two or three years ago, I had I had lunch with a person that I met kind of I do what you do. I just walk on the fringes and I get to know people. And, you know, I met him and I sat down with him and we had lunch and, you know, I said, you know, why are you coming to church? And he said, well, I, I made it a New Year's resolution. And he's like, I'm not a huge fan of creation. I've got some questions about Genesis. Mm. And. I just sat with him and we ended up being a part of a group together and it just had me thinking, you know, I read this book that was written by someone that doesn't follow Jesus named Charles Duhigg. It's called The Power of Habit. He has a whole chapter in there about Saddleback, the church that you're from and Rick Warren. And it just, it talked about the habits in your life. And, you know, Rick has talked a lot about, hey, go to church, be in a small group and serve. And this is someone that's not a Christian that's talking about this. And I think of my friend who I had lunch with. And, you know, for some of you, you're listening to this episode and you're saying, I don't, I don't give a flip of what the Bible says. You know, I'm, I'm just angry and I'm upset at church. And, and I just want to affirm, like, that you feel that mm. way and to go through that. And there's probably a lot of legitimate reasons but I, I can't tell you this when the moment of this episode is to hear you say that, you know, how much your life would have been different. And your mom said, why didn't someone tell me this sooner? 
And I just would challenge you that maybe there's a church out there that you're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of this church for just five weeks. And whether it's online or in person, just to say, you know what, I'm going to commit to that. And even for those of you that follow Jesus, that you're trying to get back into the rhythm, you know, I'd cite Hebrews, don't forsake the gathering together, that that the one thing that I'd say to you, there's something about the habit of attending church that reframes your week. It reminds you you're part of a bigger community. It, re- it pushes you to grow spiritually. And so that would be, I think what Jesus would say is, it's not rocket science or radical, but just even carving out that space and say, you know what, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to make it a little bit of a habit. So those are my thoughts. I don't know. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I love where you're going, and I would just piggyback off of that because uh, when when God created us, and that may be a blocking point for some people, but you can go from where the point I was on this planet, you have, you have three intrinsic needs that you're trying to fill, and that is you're trying to be something you're trying to be a part of something bigger than you and if you don't think that's true you should that's why people dive into sports so much because they want to be a part of something bigger than them you know uh, i don't play college football i played football but very poorly uh but but i love it and i love being a part of that community there's that intrinsic need that people have to be a part of something bigger than themselves uh there's the aspect you know there's three intrinsic needs that I'm talking about here. So you get, you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. There's a spiritual void that every person has, and you can argue that if you want, but everybody is trying to fill that spiritual void with something. And then you have a part of you that wants to feel valued. You want to feel like you're part of it. You want to feel like, you know, I'm contributing to something no matter what you do. That's why you have so many people volunteering. Uh, Volunteerism all through the pandemic was up across the board, not just houses of worship, but across anything, volunteerism was up. And so what you want to look at, though, is understand is that when Jesus created the church, and when they, again, we're talking about a broader definition than four walls that you, you walk into, but when he created the church, it was created temple courts for a reason, because it, it gives you the teaching that's relevant to your day-to-day walk, but the byproduct it does for you is it casts a vision so you can be a part of something bigger than yourself. That's why the Bible says without a vision, the people will perish. Then you look at uh, house to house or small groups. Small groups, when they're done with the right purpose, it is to fill the spiritual void that people have. And that's what makes you different from a book club, from a sports club, from a bar club, from whatever kind of gathering of friendships you have. What makes a small group unique that nobody else can do is it can quench the thirst that people have in their spiritual void. And when you serve God with where you, you know you were designed, then the natural byproduct is value because mm. you're 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 part of something in the intrinsic things you get. And so part of it is to, you know, to the church people, I would say. Stay on God's playbook because when you meet those intrinsic needs, people will come because you're filling their needs. I mean, what do we hear from people all the time? I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Well, I mean, excuse me. Everyone has 168 hours a week. But when you design your church to meet the intrinsic felt needs that 
that are trained, they go across every century, every culture, every language. I've been doing conferences on every continent on the planet, except Antarctica, because penguins don't need Jesus yet. But, you know, I've been to every continent and you, you can look at the culture, the needs, the language, the skin color, whatever you want. And those needs are all the three needs I just described. They're all there because God created us in his image. And so part of it is there's a, a great, there's this beautiful felt needs that come from the church. And I would just encourage people, you're, the thirst that you're trying to quench will only get met in one place. And that's where your creator designed you to be. So, Man, what a way to close. Uh, people can find you online. We'll be tagging you. Um, it's smallgroupnetwork.org, correct? I always... Dot, dot com. Dot com. Okay. Dot com. We're, we're, an org- we're, we're an organism too, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but... Uh, smallgroupnetwork.com I'm not even sure if we have all the rest of them to be honest with you but if you go to smallgroupnetwork.com if you're a point leader if you're a church leader and you need the resources uh, we have put all of our resources out there uh, from the 35 years of my experience plus uh, right now there's uh, I think over 30 35,000 people that are in the network making contributions into our podcast into our facebook groups and you know there's so much information that's out there that can help you so if you don't know what to do one-stop shop and you'll get everything you need to help your church have a, a healthy small group ministry love it and for us go to why god why podcast.com click the subscribe button and put your email that's the best way to get a hold of us steve thank you from uh for coming from sunny orange county and uh we look forward to talking again